Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. A prisoner at Donaldson Correctional Facility in Alabama died in his cell on December 7th. Leon Latham, age 47, was found unresponsive by prison staff, according to Alabama Department of Corrections spokeswoman Christy Simpson. ADOC doesn't typically release information about the death of an incarcerated person unless a reporter learns of the death through other means and asks for confirmation. The department has a history of misclassifying deaths and failing to report some in the department's statistical reporting. In the complaint, written for the federal government's lawsuit against Alabama over its prisons for men, quote, ADOC's statistical reports do not reflect all deaths from prisoner-on-prisoner homicides. For example, in November 2020, in November 2020, a 48-year-old prisoner at Bullock was beaten and stabbed to death. Additionally, in February 2021, a 38-year-old prisoner at St. Clair was stabbed to death in an open dormitory. ADOC officials confirmed both deaths resulted from prisoner assaults in public news reporting, but they were not reflected in ADOC's monthly statistical reports." Bobby Sneed, the Louisiana prisoner who appeared to have won his freedom this month after suing the state parole board, was technically released from Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola on Friday, December 10th, following a state court judge's order, the second mandating his release in less than a month. But the release was extremely short-lived. Following his release from Angola, Sneed was immediately rearrested and sent to a nearby jail. His arrest was related to a warrant issued by the parole board and based on an alleged parole violation that occurred last month, while he was still in prison. Sneed, who was convicted as a quote-unquote principal to murder for his role as a lookout in a 1974 robbery during which a man was killed, will turn 75 years old this Saturday. In our first segment this week, M. Walimushakur calls us from inside California's Corcoran prison and tells us about his time in the secure housing unit. He's been on the show before, talking about the gladiator fights used by guards to punish and control the imprisoned population. Housed in Corcoran for decades, he describes how he keeps going under such isolation. My name is Imwalimu Siri Shakur, and I'm a new African revolutionary nationalist, which is a man who has developed consciousness by reading and studying his history and developing his cultural practices in today's society. My background is simple. I came from an oppressed community in the city of Los Angeles, California. Uh, I was caught up in a drug gang lifestyle, uh, which led to my incarceration for the bad choices that I made. But upon coming to prison, meeting others who had uh, developed their consciousness and came from the same struggle, I realized that learning about one's history and applying those things to today to make the positive changes that we need is of paramount importance. So I've dedicated my life to the struggle on the inside behind these prison walls. So when you start reading and studying like that, um, you challenge your 
you challenge the, the ones who have authority over you because they expect you to be submissive. They don't want you to know your rights. They don't want you to help others wake up and know their rights. So they put you in solitary confinement, sometimes on trumped up charges, you know, and I was attacked, so I defended myself. And but that attack warranted them charging me with assault on staff. So by them doing that and placing me in solitary confinement, you experience, you know, 23-hour lockdowns. I mean, you shower every other day for about five minutes. Um, at any given time, they can always come and search your cell, and you can have little to nothing. So, you know, it's not really a big deal. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a situation where... They're more in control because you're isolated. You're handcuffed every time the train spot opens. You know, you're fed inside of a cell like a dog at a dog kennel. You know, it's, it, it, it kind of makes you feel inhuman because they want to cut off your outside support because you need the officers for everything. I mean, they're the ones who pass out your mail and, and mail out your mail. They're the ones who escort you to your visits if you have those, and they're behind the glass, and they're monitored with other staff members not too far behind you, so it's hard to really maintain a, a strong connection to your family and loved ones, you know, but solitary confinement is meant to break a man's will, you know, will to, to survive and resist what he's dealing with already on the inside. And what we try to do is take away the power by showing unity. You know, at, at first they were putting us against each other, so they were opening doors and, you know, we're attacking each other and they're shooting and killing us. You know, that was like something they did for sport, bringing back like the old world. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. You could look at it, what they were doing as kind of uh, like the Roman-style gladiator games. You know, it got a lot of exposure. And we dealt with that for so many years that, you know, I spent 20 in there. Um, a lot of us were psychologically damaged. You know, we experienced trauma that we didn't know we had. Um, a lot of us lost a lot of loved ones. You know, some people mentally broke down, um, couldn't handle it, uh, gave off into uh, taking psychotropic medication to maintain, which the doctors that they hire in prison don't really help you. They give you medication that will, you know, hurt you more than help heal whatever's wrong with you, you know, because they're not really about fixing those problems. So, you know, I, I endure, you know, long nights of, of not being able to sleep due to people, you know, lashing out, hollering out the tears. You know, doors clanking every time they unlock the bar lock or lock the bar lock or, you know, people are coming in and out of their cells or they, they sell extract people. If somebody doesn't want to come out, they sell, they, they put in riot gear and they go in there and force them out. That usually ends real badly for us because you're fighting staff who got this military style artillery on and all you have is your bare knuckles, you know. So, yeah, it's a real, it's a real devastating uh, environment that I had experienced, but... I learned to adapt by just, you know, falling off into myself, becoming spiritual and, and, and practicing the things that Jesus practiced and the things that the Apostle Paul practiced because they had a lot worse to me, you know, and, and drawing strength from my ancestors and their struggles, you know, fighting colonialism in Africa. And uh, that helped me keep my mind strong and uh, build up a, a strong resolve, you know, exercising daily you know, keeping a daily routine, just starting little tactics on how to survive in there. Can you talk a little bit about, like, the physical impacts of being in that, that confined space? 
Well, yeah, what you have to do is, it's it's like a, I think a five by seven seal, if I'm not mistaken, with like, we call it honeycomb doors, because the doors have nothing holes all the way around them. So you can get, you know, air from whatever ventilation they got on the outside and breathe a little freely because your air is circulated with, you know, from your cell. But exercising is, is going to keep you mentally strong and physically strong. Physically strong because, you know, you're toning your muscles, but mentally because you fall off into it. You know, and it takes your mind off of being where you're at. And you don't look at yourself as being confined to that little space. You like, for me, I take, like, by the sink in the bunk area, it, it has a, it, it's leveled off enough to where I can do, like, dips, you know, and I can do back arms off the sink and stretch my body out, you know. So I turned it into, like, a home gym type uh, deal. And then by me having all the books and stuff, you know, that I was reading and studying, I made it like a university on the inside. So it became a laboratory for me, you know. And I made it enjoyable to whereas I didn't fall victim to uh, the psychological torture that they were trying to display on us. Because if you don't find some way to resist uh, being confined like that, then you'll mentally break down. My morning routine is that I get up at five in the morning, you know, I say my prayers, uh, wash my face, brush my teeth, and I meditate, just mainly on Bible scriptures that I've read and studied that I can internalize so I can, you know, think that way throughout the day, you know, um, talk that way with a positive tongue, you know, where I'm encouraging people to, you know, be strong, you know, stay strong, you know, uh, being polite and kind to others so that they see that I care, you know, if don't nobody else cares, I do. You know, and then when I, um, after breakfast comes by, which is maybe about an hour and a half after I've gotten up, they pass out the breakfast on a tray, those little small portions. I'll eat a little bit of it, and then I'll watch the news for a minute, see what's going on in the world, um, or if they're just showing local news, seeing what's going on in that city that I'm, that I'm close to. And then I'll start exercising, you know, and I exercise for hours. You know, I can do a thousand burpees, which is like military-style push-ups, like back arms, different types of sit-up routines and leg routines, you know, keeping my mind strong in that way. And, um, you know, our sink area, we can use it for like a makeshift shower. Like you can take your cable hole, cable cord and cut it and pull the rubber off so it, it, it's like a hose. And you can stick it inside the uh, the fountain part where the water comes out of and it shoots out like a shower. And yet that's how you, you pretty much can get your shower right there in your cell and then clean your clean the water up and clean the cell afterwards and uh, you know keep yourself you know clean like that. But most of the books that I read were like Mao Zedong, the chair, uh, communist chairman, Karl Marx, D.I. Lenin, George Jackson, mainly all revolutionaries and people who had a communist mind state, who believed in a socialist economy, which is the way that you can survive in communities and those practices you develop you see who your enemy is and what fronts he has control over, which through his capitalist economic system is a system of oppression. You know, it, it bleeds us of our labor where they reap the benefits more than we do. You know, and you can see who, who owns the, the media corporations, the banks, um, entertainment, uh, the athletic teams, and so on and so forth. And when you learn about a socialist economy, it, it teaches you how to share with others. You know, and how to help others thrive and prosper for their businesses so that the economy is, is shared to where everybody grows and develops. And when you study other cultures' history, you see that they had the same types of practices as well. So 
you know, I, I study the works of the, the Russian revolutionaries, the African revolutionaries, those in South and Central America, you know, the, the oppressed people who were fighting to liberate themselves from colonialism, you know, who, the, the First Nations people who had to overcome genocide, you know, so all the story of, of stories of them. I don't think I have a best book, but I would say Howard Zinn is one of my favorite authors. His uh, A People's History of the United States gives you an overall deep study uh, of how... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. ...teach you how America was formed. And you can see the lies that they told you in the public school system. And then reading Chairman Mao, he has his selected writings, which they call the Red Book. And he talks about how communist China was developed socially, where all other cultures lived in China and thrived and prospered, uh, doing their own thing. You know, they weren't under no form of dictatorship. And then, you know, Karl Marx's uh, Capital Volumes 1 and 2 breaks down the economic system and why... Uh, the Communist Party in Russia were so successful at first when they organized the people. And then V.I. Uh, Lenin, his selected works teach you how to build a vanguard party, which is basically organizations of the people fight for their rights. You know, so yeah, there was a lot of things that I studied, and I'm still studying and reading and practicing what I've learned. So it, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. It hasn't really stopped. We weren't meant to be racist people. You know, we people discovered their love for humanity and can be social and get along, practicing their own cultures without problems. But when you think about uh, the 13 colonies and how they were formed and who formed them, what they established caused the race case system by putting you against each other. And when they did that, it disrupted society to where society is now. It's multicultural, but there's a lot of division, not just racial division, but division. You have 60 seconds remaining. But division within your own race, you know. And that's the same way they try to do it in the California prison system. And that's what established the gladiator gangs. That's what they were doing to us, you know, trying to make us dehumanized. And people still suffer from trauma from that because the violent acts that took place was them murdering us, you know, and us trying to fend off bullets, you know, which is kind of hard to do, you know. But some of us, well, a lot of us did survive it, but some of us will probably always be scarred. Last week, on December 17th, Russell Maroon Schotes passed away. In 1970, Schotes was convicted for the murder of a police officer in Pennsylvania and was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. On February 20th, 2014, Schotes was returned to the prison's general population after being held in solitary confinement for over 22 consecutive years. Schotes was granted compassionate release on October 26th, 2021, based on being terminally ill. Today, we share part of an interview with Schotes recorded on August 15, 1996, at State Correctional Institution Green in Pennsylvania. Here he is. This is a control unit that I'm in, right? So everything that go along with it, I'm cut off completely. In fact, this little get-up I'm in now, this is like, I've usually got the... You know, I usually got the monkey suit on. I look like one of the clowns coming out of Dachau or Treblinka someplace, you know, with the stripes and all that. I, I haven't seen anything like this since I come in here. I've been here over a year and a half. You know, I get nothing, period. I'm in the control unit. This is Pennsylvania's Maryland. This is like the new joint in Colorado. You know, so actually it's two joints for real. 
It's one joint that's uh, a regular penitentiary that's out there. But everything behind these walls, you know, the building that Bumi is in, which is uh, the death row building, and the building I'm in, they're all identical. But they just, they're, they're, they're cut off, cut and run. I'm in the control unit, cut and run. And I'm being told that I will never leave here, which is crap, I don't pay no attention to, you know, because, you know, I've been told worse. You know, I ain't worried about it. Actually, this is the premier control unit for the whole state. So what's your days look like? How much time do you have out yourself? Uh, an hour a day. 23 hours a 23 hours, uh, three showers a week, five hours of outdoor recreation, and that's it. That's it? That's it. You have access to the law library? We have access to the law library, but as you know, it's not... They bring it to you. You got to put down... No, we can go to the law library. It's right on the unit itself. The unit is completely self-contained. Everything that's done is done on the unit. The meals are bought in. They're preparing their board in. Everything else is done right on the your unit. Meals, your meals are served in the cell? They're served right in the cell. So, they build, so, so you don't come out even eat? I don't come out for anything except one hour, five days a week to exercise. And what's that? That's a dog cage or something? That's like a dog cage, single capacity dog cage, 12 foot fences, concertina wire, walls around the entire unit. So, that's so, so, so the, um, the recreation is out of sight of each other too, right? Um, you can just see each other through the cage. You can see seven men, six other men, including yourself, that's within the cages. However, the unit, although it has 96 uh, individual cells, you can only see 24 men because it broke up into four 24 units. So you never see anybody but 24 people. And then they have four buildings like that. Each one of them are similarly broke up into four different units. All together is 386, you know, these uh, maxi maxi cells. But out of 386 men, you will probably never see but 24 men that send on your unit, in addition to the officers, as well as maybe two workers. You know, they may come from another unit. That's about it. I've been here a little over a year and a half, and within that time, I've seen Brother Mumia twice. And I've been able to holler at him and say, how you doing, once within that time. And at one time, we were in the same identical building for six months. And he was telling me. And that was... And you could be in the same finish. building, won't even know somebody's there, yeah. Yeah. So that's the whole idea about, you know, how they're making these new control units. It's to, come, come, you know, completely cut you off as much as possible from all of the, you know, outside stimuli that they can. Also within this unit, you know, we're not allowed to uh, have access to uh, our own reading material. We're not allowed, you know, we have to mean? read the... You, you're not permitted books? No, we're permitted access to books within their library. They provide a library, which is everything from the boy who invented popcorn or bubblegum or up to some other crap, some system crap that they want you to read. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You can't order books from the publisher or... No, you're not. You can order what you want, but when it comes, it goes into your property to be given to you when you're released. And in the case of a person like me, I've been told over and over again in writing that I will never, any VER, be released from this unit. And of course, as you know... So you say all the books that you're sent are put in your property and you never get to read them? No, you're never allowed the books except from approval 
from their board, which is the Program Review Committee. Okay, this so committee, say your book was sent to you right. from the publisher. It goes right. to the Program Review Committee. It goes to Program Let's Review Committee. Let's assume that they are okay. Right. Then you can read it. Then you can read it. Okay, so you can have it in your cell. You would have it in your cell in exchange for another book. Another book. So you're permitted how many books in your cell? Five? No, what you're permitted, you're permitted, you're permitted the necessary legal books for cases that you're preparing, as well as any one religious book. Um, outside of that, your leisure reading material, something that's sent from somebody on any given topic, you're only allowed it if the program review committee approves it. So as it stands right now, and I've been here a year and a half, and I've been given access to being able to exchange two books on a one-for-one -one basis. And this is because I haven't had any type of rule infraction since 1989. So you can imagine what I would have to do, you know, uh, to work myself into, you know, some more access to, uh, you know, some more sensory input. Your ability to read um, different diverse material is restricted at best. Yes, it has to come through the PRC. I'll give you an example. Um, about six months ago, my daughter had me send a dissertation that was by uh, a Kim Holder, which is a graduate student. He got a PhD on this dissertation, and it was on the history of the Black Panther Party. Yeah, I see it. And uh, the Program Review Committee reviewed it and refused to let me have access to it. No reason, because they don't have to give a reason, because all of this is discretionary. Who's on, who's on the review committee? Uh, the Program Review Committee, it's three people. It's usually the Deputy Warden for Operations, that's the security man as well as the deputy warden for treatment, that's the program, man, as well as treatment. some other type. Deputy warden for treatment? Deputy warden for treatment. That's the party that's in, in, involved. Is he a doctor program. or something? I don't know whether any of them would have any type of doctorate, you know, a, a type of degree. Treatment implies some type of therapy or something like it that. It would imply that, but for my years in this system here, doesn't mean that. it doesn't mean anything because there's no type of treatment worthwhile in no way. And, and who else? And uh, another classification, uh, which would be the guy who's head of the councils for all practical purposes. Like a senior counselor or something? More or less. And they make a determination on what you should read and shouldn't read? They make a determination on everything they Is there a do. criteria they're supposed to utilize? In a there is a criteria, but the criteria is so broad that it gives them wide latitude to determine everything within your life except a limited number of things, and amongst those limited number of things, and of course, they have to provide for your safety. They can't kill you. They can't allow anybody else to outright kill you, except in a limited number of reasons, such as in the case of the state, or to prevent you from, you know, bringing deadly harm on somebody else. They can't kill you. They have to provide you regular meals three times a day. They have to provide you three showers a week, three shades, five hours of exercise, that's it. That's the only thing that's the rule. Everything else beyond those particular categories, they have completely control over it's discretionary. So as a consequence, they say that within their treatment, that they will give you things based on, you know, your adjustments, your behavior, whatever the case is, but there's no criteria for what they use to determine and from what I understand, the courts have backed them on that for quite a few years where they supposedly, once reaching those particular positions, that they supposedly have enough understanding where 
the court would leave it up to their discretion to determine what type of treatment program beyond the three hots and the cots that they would give them. Let me ask you something, uh, Russell. You, you've, been in, you've been in prison how long now? 24 plus years. 24 plus years? That's correct. And since the time you've been in, have you noted a, a, a decided shift in, first of all, the, um, the, the, the inmate population and their consciousness and the way the Department of Correction goes about uh, administering the prison system? And if that shift has significantly changed your condition? Well, the primary shift that I've noticed since I've been in the prison is the overwhelming numbers of prisoners who've come in the system. Presently, just within the state system, not counting the local systems, presently within the state system, they got over 30,000 prisoners. When I first came here, there was less than 4,000 prisoners in this system. In Pennsylvania? In Pennsylvania, it was less. I got that wrong. It was less than 5,000 prisoners within the Pennsylvania system. Now it's over 30,000 prisoners. That's the major change. Um, the makeup of the prisons has always essentially been the same in this state, which is roughly 60 or more percent black, possibly five or more percent Hispanic, and then the rest, you know, were white. So that makeup is basically the same. However, this large influx of prisoners have radically changed how the prison system has been handled. When I first come to prison within this system here, the prison system was lock us up, but basically the treatment was relatively, although they hold us captive, you could at least get the things that you need. Nowadays, or at least within the last eight or nine years, because that's when the, that's when the large influx begin to come in. Now, you can't even get clothing you need. About all you can get nowadays is enough to eat. Let me say this. That's the general conditions of prisoners. But now, you know, your situation has been unique. You and other political prisoners um, uh, have been treated differently. Uh, how long have you been in isolation, in this form of isolation? I've been in isolation within these 24 years, over 16 or 17 years. Not straight. Off and on. But off and on, I've been in isolation. And, 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 and what has the pretext been for putting you in isolation? Is that I'm just in too much of a danger to the overall system. Well, I mean, that's vague. Are all prisoners a danger to the system? Well, in my case in particular, I've escaped more than once, and I've attempted to escape more than once. Oh, I so see. they always use the escape well, mainly. You have one of them Kunta Kente complexes. I absolutely have a Kunta Kente. My name is Maroon. I'm, about, I'm not about staying in a, you know, in a depressive about, situation. You about staying. Hell no. You know, anybody who sits up in prison and don't try to go, that's out the question. They, don't, they, they, they must don't know what them guns and guards and, and fences and wire, wire and all that crap is for. Well, which, which I might add to that. Which is not really extraordinary, you know, because if, 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 if my situation was so extraordinary, not saying that, you know, uh, I'm not in a category, you know, that's outside of the normal category, because they don't have that many people within this whole system who escape successfully, you know, on more than one occasion. However, the prison systems were built specifically to keep people here by force. Yeah.
This interview was originally aired on the People's Video Network and was conducted by Daruba Bin Wahad. We'll have links to our previous episodes with Emwalimu on our website. This has been KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. And if you want to financially support our work, you can become a supporter at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. Please check out our new searchable website with hundreds of archived shows at kitelineradio.org. After a brief hiatus, we're happy to report that our prisoner call-in phone line is back. Folks on the inside or their outside friends and supporters can call 765-343-6236 to record a message to be played on the air. Please share this number widely and we'll try to answer and air all messages possible. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.